On Giddy Up, it's time for the debate. Let's welcome in the team from the straight.com.au, the one and the only, the man that's just dominating the the racing media landscape these days. I speak of Brent O'Brien, the boy from Tassie. Hello to you, Brent. Hello, Gareth. Good to be with you. And Mickey Gannon from the great tip-off. Hello to you, mate. Good morning. Good morning, G-Man. Morning, Brent. Where do we start? There's been plenty happening over the last 24 hours. We might have a chat about that story yesterday. It was one of the most interesting narratives that I can come across ahead of a, a country meeting on a Tuesday anywhere in the country when you've got a horse by the name of Supervoke who had form in Queensland at um, tracks that not too many people would have heard of and then gets into the care or the, the horse is transferred back to Team Hawks and Team Hawks, they don't have benchmark 55 horses in their backyard. Tommy Berry goes there for one ride to Queen Bean and it trialled and finished second alligator blood at Ramwick. It was one of the most interesting storylines that I've come across in racing and he's or she was well backed in the last 24 hours before the race and then she was out the gate by the time that that race started and she was probably a little bit disappointing at the end of the day, Brent O'Brien, but it was a fascinating storyline and I don't think I've seen a, a race have that much interest on a Tuesday anywhere in the country. Apart from the like Melbourne a, There's Cup. nothing like a tip in the middle of summer, is there, yes. Gareth? There's nothing like it. We're in the middle of summer holidays. Everybody's sort of wandering around looking for something to bet on and the hype around this horse that built yesterday was uh, was quite extraordinary. I mean, on face value, the form wasn't great. I mean, do you want to be taking, you know, what was effectively $2.40 out to $4.20 for a horse that's mm-hmm. For 15 starts for two wins. And I reckon the uh, the big boys might have worked that out and worked out that in the end probably wasn't quite worth, despite Tommy's intervention and um, the Hawks being involved with the horse, that maybe it wasn't really worthwhile. And, uh, yeah, she was beaten about six and a half lengths in the end, finished fifth, and punters did their money that did uh, put their money on her. And that's, uh, I, I guess, a salient lesson in betting Queen being on a Tuesday. And I guess, but have you ever seen a storyline like that? Like she did trial, she did trial pretty well behind Alligator Blood. The storyline was that she, they thought that she was a midweek type of horse when they, when they had her in, in work before she went to Queensland and then she went back into the stable. So it was a fascinating storyline in, in a way. I don't think I can recall something like that. Um, They, they certainly capture the imagination a little bit, they these do. stories, sort of horses out of left field. We're so used to these days. You know, uh, you know, form being so clear, like, you know, horses matching up against one another. And it's pretty rare you have a horse come from, you know, running at Mackay at its previous start and joining the Hawk stable, especially running eighth at Mackay at its previous start last yes. September. So I think that, I mean, that was part of the intrigue. Was this a horse that had been kept under wraps that suddenly came out of nowhere? I guess the question about that alligator blood trial is how many horses behind alligator blood were actually up and about uh, for that trial. And sometimes we can get sucked into trials quite easily, but uh, yes. I think it's great for racing. It's great for the narrative and it, and it provides a bit of color in, a, you know, in, in, in a world where we, it can become a little bit robotic and, you know, day in, day out, we see racing and there's, there's nothing remarkable happening. And there's plenty of benchmark 58 that go around every day, which we just, you know, good for the owners, but as punters don't really capture the imagination. So look, it was a good story. It was a bit, it was certainly an interesting watch. And yes. um, I think we knew a long way out that the horse wasn't going to win. It could be one of the, the great, marketing ploys that race in New South Wales or any jurisdiction like Mitch Beer might need to fly out Zach Purton for, for one ride there at, at, at Albury on a Monday afternoon. Hello to you, Mickey Gannon. What'd you make of it? Good morning, G. Yeah, no, well, Mitch, will be flying uh, Zach Purton to Kembla Grange these days, mate. But, okay. uh, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was really, really good. The, the simple fact that we had a 
Queanbeyan meeting on a Tuesday up in uh, up in lights. So the result was a complete disaster for the punters. Uh, granted, that was no good. Yeah. I fell into I fell into the horse around three dollars forty before before you actually got your mate Hawksy on, and and uh, Michael about being spruiked. I know I know uh, Wayne was wasn't spruiking at all. And then I managed to have another bet in the race because I figured, oh well, you know this this thing will will no doubt sh- get shorter, and I managed to to do much of into twice. So. Uh, got beat twice in the race, but look, it's great. It is what it is. Gee, it's great for the game. Not great for the uh, poor old punter that wants to take the two dollars at some stage. But yeah. uh, hey, here we are. And yeah. you, as as always, we're here to gamble responsibly. Have your bet. If you lose, cop it on the chin and move on. Yeah, one eight hundred eight five eight eight five eight. But like, there were some good judges. Dino made that horse super vogue a horse to follow with his trial time. I'm pretty sure he did. I have well, to, it's, I have to so on its on its that. best form. Yeah, on its best form in Sydney, which was a couple of preps ago, right? It, it, it was you could you could you could have conservatively got it to about a two dollar forty chance. Yeah, you assume that it's gone back to Hawks because it's shown something. It's going to improve with Tommy Berry on. There's a few reasons why you could have a bet on that horse. It, it was it, it did you know finish what a length and a half behind Alligator Blood and put a good gap on the rest of them. Granted, Brendan's um, his summation of that trial is correct. What was in behind them was no good, but he still beat them by a little bit. So there was you know there's reasons why you could back that horse at two dollars forty. No, at three dollars forty, yeah, but look. That, let's put that to the side. It's great for it's great for Queenbian. It's great for Tommy. Great for Lukey Marlowe that finally got himself up in the headlights. It, it's good for the game. I want to see. I want to see a little bit more of it. I agree with you. I'd love to see a bit more of that on a you know on a Monday or a Tuesday. See yeah. a trainer take one, a Metro trainer take one out wide. But it, we we explained the story. I was proud of the, how Giddy up told the story because it was. It was an interesting story. The Hawks explain why they're training this horse. Obviously, friends of friends of Michael Hawks. They, they, they trialed it there at um, Randwick. And I think the, the biggest push that I got is that they were going to go to Gosford, but they just didn't want to do too many points. Now that would probably would have backfired, but they went to Queen Bean because that was the only benchmark race that they could find in that horse's class. So they thought, well, we'll win this race and then go to Gosford um, and get well, some prize hey, money in the bank. Hey. Yeah. Gee, gee, you get Sebastian Hutch on soon. Maybe you might be able to put it as a late inclusion for English Digital yeah. opens today. You might be able to get it in, get it in from the sale. I don't know if they might have. He won't, left he, won't be, he won't be winning again. They might have left it there at um, Queen Bee. It might be in Joe <laughs> Cleary's stable as we speak. But anyway, excuse me. That was the story there. Yesterday. Just coughing at the moment. I've got something caught in my my throat. It might be super vogue. Uh, let's move on to our <laughs> other topics. Storm Boy, you broke this story, um, or you wrote a story on the straight.com.au that he might be purchased. That there's fifty million dollars. And that's the figure that be, that's been thrown around for the Magic Millions champ, Brent. Um, how much would you pay for Storm Boy? How much is he worth? Um, at the moment, I think if the current estimation is fifteen to twenty million, that's probably not bad in the old commercial value, I suppose. I mean, I think he's probably maybe a little bit over for a Magic Millions winner, but he did win an incredible time. You know, he's, he's impressive. He's a strong. You know, he's a good-looking horse. He looks yeah. the right type of stallion type. He's got the right profile to be a. A very good stallion. Now, the, the, I guess the challenge is, is, is not what I think it's what he's worth, or what's the market thinks he's worth, Gareth. And the market, there's three, been three farms after this guy all along. Coolmore are always going to be the front runner and look like they've got the deal over the line in the last 24 hours since that story has been written on the straight. Um, Newgate and Yulong were also highly interested in the horse and tried to try to lure him in. The $50 million price tag comes down to the fact if he wins the, effectively, if he wins the Golden Slipper, it's probably another $20 million on top of that, mm-hmm. or maybe $25 million. So he gets us to sort of 45. And if he wins the Triple Crown this year, um, then it could go as high as over $50 million, and that would put him in the sort of highest 
realms of valuation of stallions in, in Australian history. So it's a, it's a, I guess it's a bit of a, a highlight number that we sit there and go, well, he's got to do a lot yet, but he's certainly the dominant two-year-old at the moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the relative of the stallion game, if you wait until after the he won those races, if he does win those races, then you're probably paying $60 million for him. So it's, it might not be a bad business if um, if Coolmore can get him over the line, get him signed, uh, son of Justify. And, and I guess that's significant as well to Gareth in this story because Justify's gone through the roof in America at the yes. moment. He's, um, he's, he's, he, he's uh, service fees up to $200,000. There is a good chance he may not come back to Australia after, after the recently completed season. So um, if that's the case... They do need an heir apparent to you know, go to start in the next couple of years. Uh, this boy fits the fits the mould because he's such a beautiful looking horse. And if he can get a group one win as a two-year-old, he'll be worth that price that they paid for him. So justifies dominating America. He's got the best young horse in Europe as well. Trained by Adam O'Brien. Ryan Moore um, rides that two-year-old by justify. And then Storm Boys come along. So, And I remember Tom Magnier talking about justify, especially when he's yearlings were being sold for the first time last year. And John Magnier believes that he's the next stallion to be the, the next superstar, basically to be the new Saddlers Wells. Um, that he's, he's that good. And that's why, that's why Mr. Magnier wanted to purchase all that money for the, the triple crown champ. So um, you can understand that they will be desperate to buy storm boy if they believe that he's that good, but how good is he Mickey Gannon? Do you think that he can, um, win a golden slipper or a triple crown. Um, can he continue to dominate the two-year-old ranks? He's good, G. He's really good. Yeah, he could definitely win a golden slipper. Absolutely no doubt about it. The betting tells a story. And uh, as Brent touched on, there was you know, three of the big boys. We did some work for a couple of others as well on Storm Boy. There was plenty circling, plenty circling. I think uh, I think he will win the golden slipper. I was very disappointed with the Shangri-La Express trial after we been spruiking him all along. Uh, I thought that was a little bit soft. And he's definitely good enough to win that. And I think the thing we've got to consider now is at 15, call it 15, 20 million, if he wins a golden slipper, gee whiz, he's, he's almost becomes a lock for winning the other two, would you imagine, Brent? Yeah, I think like, you know, the type of profile the horse he is, it's a big, strong horse. Um, you mm. think 1,400, 1,600 is not going to be, as I mentioned last week, I'll be waiting only because of the fact that if it turns out to be in a heavy eight or heavy nine on Golden Slipper Week, you just don't know. Sure. Uh, um, so there's a, there's a lot to flow under, and that's why we have that. They have these kickers built in, I suppose, and they don't buy these horses outright to start with. But um, yeah, I mean, he certainly looks the, yeah, the, clearly the testing material and the best two-year-old at the moment. Uh, it's just interesting that in a, in a really competitive world amongst these studs, they're having to get these deals done earlier and earlier, Gareth. Otherwise, yes. they just don't get them away. So how does it work then, Brent? Can you take us inside the inner sanctum? So is it because 20 million up front's a lot of money. So is it the is it a stud that can do the best deal for the owners um, regarding, like, is it just cash up front or are they doing deals to say, okay, then you'll get, um, five service fees a year with him. So how does that all work? Yeah, it's all part of, it's, it's one of those things that sort of they throw the full set of steak knives in if they can. Um, yeah. They'll they'll throw in the, uh, you know, they'll obviously put in the kickers in. So the fact they'll sit there and go, okay, he's $15, $20 million up front, right? That's the deal that they get now. The owners will be advised by their own bloodstock agents that will be involved in the deal. Um, and they'll go, okay, it's $15, $20 million up front. There will be a certain kicker or, or bonus if he wins another Group one race, be it a Golden Slipper or a Cornwall Stud Stakes. There'll be other little kickers along the way, which might add to his value. If he should win, you know, for example, he wins the Triple Crown, it might be worth a you know, five, $10 million more. If he wins a three-year-old race, that might add, add a bit more to that value. And to, in the end, it, it entices the owners to sit there and say, hey, we'll get the money up front, but we're not selling the farm early here. And, and the other thing too is often 
um, the owners will get to race on with the horse. And so any prize money that horse may earn going forward, they'll still get to cover the money going forward, which is good. And then there's also the option of getting service service fees as well, whether it's you know, a couple of services a year, whatever else it is. Uh, and if you look at a horse like of this horse's value, if it goes to, if it does win the Triple Crown, right, let's say it does. Yeah. And, and yeah, he stands for 100, 110 grand like uh, Home Affairs did in his first season, right? Or 120 grand, right? So those couple of service fees are worth a, a good chunk of money. Um, from the studs' point of view, they're just doing the maths on it. They pretty much work on the thing that within three years, they try to get the return back on what they are. If you look at Home Affairs, for example, in his first two seasons, he's probably got back between 30 and $40 million. So um, for, for, for Coolmore, it, that's on retail value. That just assumes everybody's paying full whack, which is yep. not necessarily the case. But that, that's a significant amount of money back already on that horse. Um, and so therefore, the, the, the valuation at $50 million, this horse could pay that back within three, four years. And and not only that, yeah, deliver a generational stallion for the mm. for the for the start which they can build upon from there. Oh four double nine seven three six seven three six to join our conversation. This is the Wednesday debate here on Giddy Up on this Wednesday morning. Gareth Hall, Breno O'Brien and Mickey Gannon with you. We'll take a quick break. There's still plenty to discuss straight after this. Welcome back to Giddy Up. This is a Wednesday debate. Breno O'Brien, Mickey Gannon, Gareth Hall with you. Morning G. Where there's smoke, there's no fire. Uh, ha, ha, ha. You turned over every rock to find a reason to back um, Super Vogue. I wouldn't have backed it with stolen money. Good on you, Cal. Surely stewards inquire into Super Vogue. A lot of punters um, did their money. I don't know if there was a stewards inquiry. It just wasn't good enough. Pulled up okay from all reports from Team Hawks. It just... Queen Bean can be a difficult track as well to handle from time to time, but um, it just wasn't good enough. So that's racing. Um, unfortunately, Mickey G. It's a leader's highway most of the time, G. And yeah. uh, once, once Tommy didn't go Shanghai to the front, it was a uh, pen job. Let's continue on our topics here for the Wednesday debate. We will have a chat to Sebastian Hutch a little later on, the CEO of Inglis, but this Winx filly, of course, by Piero out of Winx, Bren. How much do you think she'll go for? She'll be the talk of the Easter sale. The catalogue was just recently announced. Um, what yeah, are you it's expecting? A, yeah, say, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it's obviously she's the highlight of the catalogue. 500 lots announced, yeah. and um, yeah, she's clearly the highlight. Um, yeah, and she'll get seven figures. She'll get a million bucks. There's no doubt about that. How far she goes beyond that. I guess we just have to find out, Gareth. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really interesting one. If you look at the highest price Piero filly, uh, a horse called Pretty that's two-year-old now, unraced two-year-old at the moment, sold for $1.75 million. Now, we would think with her pedigree, mm-hmm. assuming, you know, she's looks all the, all, all the right looks or whatever, she's got to be worth more than that. Uh, she's such a rare article. We don't know what Winx is going to produce going forward in terms of whether the, this will be the only time you'll get access to her bloodlines. And I think that'll get the big breeders involved. That'll get the Japanese involved, which will be significant. Um, and obviously get, um, you know, Coolmore would be keen to sort of bring her back into the fold, given their association with Winx. Uh, and Yulong will obviously be keen to go for her as well. I would think she'd go for over three million bucks, just on rarity okay. value alone. And it'll be some hype. The, the hype with her will be unbelievable, Mickey Gannon, when you think about it, because every news service will be there. Um, she is. She, she has transcended the sport throughout her illustrious career. So um, it's going to be some day on day two there of the sales. It'll be phenomenal, G. I can't wait. And um, yeah, there'll be hype of plenty. One thing for sure is she'll, yeah, she'll go for more than what she's worth. We had William Pike who broke his heel after a track accident there. 
I think on Friday. So he didn't ride there on Saturday. We had Terry Layton on the show that I do on Saturday mornings here on SEN Track with winners. And he says, and he's a big punter, Terry Layton. He's a pro punter and he, he's good enough to give up his time for me on a Saturday. And he tipped us a 20, 20 to 1 winner, by the way, there on Saturday. But he said that he doesn't bet as much when William Pike is not riding. And because he just, he has so much confidence in William Pike. And he prices, when he does his prices, his own prices, that he, he marks William Pike harshly, probably, because he thinks he's that much better than everybody else. So it begs the question here, and I did a little bit of research, but I'm, just, I'm still trying to chase to get the confirmed figures of this. But you can get a bit of a gut feel, and you can have a look at some of the pools and talk to a few of the traders around the, the different organizations, but... So who is the more more who is the more important for their chosen jurisdictions? Is it Pike in WA? Is it McDonald in Sydney? Or is it Purton in Hong Kong? What would you say, Brent? Uh, I'd say Purton every day of the week, just because jockeys are so important in Hong Kong. There's a yeah. real culture around the jockeys and the way that they're followed. And yeah, you know, if Zach uh, ends up you know, if something goes wrong with Zach, he doesn't turn up on a on a Wednesday or a Sunday. It has a, a substantial effect on on turnover because of the nature of the way that the Hong Kong culture works. I see what you're saying about Pike. I think he is that like the he is the uh you know the iconic you know representative of Perth racing. Everyone talks about Willie Pike and what he can do, and I think his riding style goes into that as well because he's such like for a guy that rides at at twenty five point six percent as he is this year. Oh my goodness, you get some, some interesting spots. Sometimes you're just watching a race yeah. and you're like, how did you get there, Willie? How are you going to get out of there? And he, he just arrives in time. And I, I've never, I've rarely seen a jockey who can do what he could do, does in that regard um, against that opposition. And I think that he's, you know, he is enormous for Perth racing. But yeah, you know, Zach, the Hong Kong nature of where things are, Zach's role in the sport, he's the top dog over there. I think if Zach misses a meeting and Willie misses a meeting in Perth and, and J-Mac misses a meeting in Sydney, it's, um, it's Zach by the length of the straight for me. Mickey Gannon? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's all relative to turnover in, in, in each jurisdiction. I would say one thing I would say is uh, J-Mac would be the bottom of that list, even though he's probably the best, one of the best, if not the best riders in the world. But Willie Pike, the way he gets the Eastern Seaboard engaged with Western Australian racing is phenomenal. And I guarantee you that if he wasn't riding in WA in those carnivals, there'd be the turnover, at least from this side, the Eastern Seaboard side of Australia, would be significantly down, like significantly. I only watched WA racing, to be fair, as a youngster because of him. Uh, so that, that's, there's my vote. Uh, Willie Pike, for sure. Look, no doubt Zach Burton, but I think Hong Kong racing would still thrive without Zach Burton. Yeah, I think that W Pike, Definitely. And you never have a look at the turnover figures there, I think, from last Saturday compared to when Pike was riding. They were down a little bit. Now, there could be other factors involved there. But when you when you have a look at market expectation, there were horses there on Saturday that were going to start $3 with Pike riding. And they ended up starting close to double figures. So that's the impact that he has on the punters there in the West. Um so there's no doubt that he does he does affect the turnover when he's not riding. And the market expectation with certain horses, if he's not riding it, you can get three or four, five, maybe six um, better points from a punting perspective when it comes to value. The other the Yeah, other, I think I think 
Gee, I think Bren's right in regards to turnover on the, on the Hong Kong side of things. Yeah, but actually, 100%. as a pure racing fan and engagement fan, I reckon Hong Kong racing w- would stand alone without Zach. Where yeah. I think WA racing throws and East would really struggle without. I, I, I think second. I think Hong Kong's is it's like Hong Kong's a two trainer um, jurisdiction. Really, they've always had two top trainers that stand above the rest, and it's always been two jockeys. Like it's always been Douglas White or Brett Preble or Douglas White and 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 um, Zach Purton or Zach Purton or Joe Marura. And now it's sort of like Zach Purton and Huey Bowman, the two big dogs of Hong Kong racing. But William Pike in a way that I think, I think it proves that, that Rawa spend a little bit of money. They invest some money into Pikey. Um, he does a little bit of social media work. He's the only jockey that gets interviewed in between races for his full set of rides. There's no doubt that Pikey would be getting paid for that. So you 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 think about that 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 doesn't happen in any other jurisdiction like racing Queensland don't get Jimmy Orman out and um, make sure that they interview him between races and and try and set him up and 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 employ him from that marketing perspective. So Brett, he's the only jockey that does that in the country, really. William Pike. That's how important, say, racing wagering Western Australia think he is. Let's be honest, Pikey. Oh, I find him funny. I, I like it when he does his little bit of social work with Rawa. But, um, yeah, he's he's a man in demand. And they know how important he is. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, he's he's iconic. And it's really important for that jurisdiction he's able to do that, you know, because he becomes the man. I think it's fantastic what he's able to do. And I don't think there's a jockey like him in that regard. I do, I do see your point uh, in that regard. I think he's, his ability to cut through. Um, yeah, and he's yeah he's a yeah. Australian racing history has been built on great jockeys yeah. and great characters, and Pikey fulfills both. And I think that that's you know one of the the the, the yeah you know, what he's been able to do in terms of catapult the profile of WA racing has been terrific. And yeah, they, if he you know it, when he's injured or if he ever retires, you know um, yeah extraordinary. But it's been built on success. I mean, he's won, ridden one hundred and five winners already this year. Gareth, I mean, this season, that's pretty extraordinary. Like, yeah, he's, he's remarkable in that regard. And yeah. And, and unlike anyone else in this country, certainly. Yeah. He just dominates. And, proceedings, I, yeah. and, and Jay, I think it just it highlights the point that, you know, jockeys need to be, you know, the stars of the show as much as the horses as well here. Like if, if, I don't know, if there was a three kilo claiming apprentice on Super Vogue yesterday, Queen Bien, we, we don't even talk about it. Tommy Berry's on it. It's a big, big headline. Yeah, 100%. If, like, with all due respect, if Cody Jennings heads down there or even, like, an Andrew Atkins rides that galloper. Well, we know Kobe wouldn't listen to instructions anyway. No, no, no. So that probably doesn't have the same impact as, say, Tommy Berry just having the one ride, heading back and going to ride that horse. Um, yeah. yeah. But Pikey is valuable. And it, it's, I'm not, like, he's proven that he's, he's a great jockey, Pikey, but he's not... He's, he doesn't stand out like he does in Perth when he comes to Melbourne and Sydney, um, but he's just that much better than everybody over in Perth, and um, he's just got he's got that cold hero um, about him. So that so yeah, he'll be missed for the next what three months probably over in the West with that broken heel. We need to take the news. It's eight thirty five. This is giddy up on this Wednesday. He's starting to paddle at the two hundred meters. She's a length and a half in front of Alligator Blood, but she's fighting Pride of Jenny. She's still clear from Alligator Blood and Mr. Brightside. Pride of Jenny. This has been spectacular, and Pride of Jenny won again. Alligator Blood at the two hundred took the front. Romantic Warrior the outside. Alligator Blood at the hundred. Romantic Warrior, Mr. Brightside, still Alligator Blood, Mr. 
So those were the runnings of the two big group ones during the spring in Melbourne, the Champions Mile, which was part of Champions Day, along with the Champion Stakes and the Champion Sprint, and also the Ludbrokes Cox Plate. The Long Jeans World Top 100 Group slash Grade 1 races for three-year-olds and upwards of 2023 was announced this morning. The Japan Cup was rated as the number one race in the world from the Dubai Shima Classic. The Arc de Triomphe was back in third. The King George was fourth. Of course, that race competed at Ascot. And then we had the Kinnan race there in Japan. The Champion Stakes back in Britain. The Tenno Show in Japan. So this is dominated by Europe and Japan in the early part. And then we go down to see the first Australian race. And it is ranked 24 the Kennedy Champions Mile in front of the Ladbrokes Cox Plate. So um, it's not our greatest race, according to this um, long, jeans, long jeans rating system, Bren O'Brien. Um, could Champions Day take over from Cox Plate Day with the way that Flemington want to set it up? I reckon Lee Jordan will be sitting back with a big smile on his face this morning. I think um, the, uh, the Australians in the long jeans racehorse rankings have a long uh, history of, <laughs> of not necessarily agreeing with one another. Yeah. Um, so you always, I guess, as an Australian fan, take this with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, it, it was surprising to me to see Pride of Jenny's performance rated so highly, equal to that to Romantic Warrior, but I guess we probably think it wasn't also a, an absolutely classic cock plate in terms of the top end quality, I suppose we, it was a great, great race to watch, but it probably wasn't that you know, elite level. So, and I, what also tends to happen in these rankings a lot is that, um, is that front running performances get ranked highly. Um, they, they do get rated really highly and that's fair enough because they do all the work from the front. And that's probably what has catapulted this race up there. I think what probably more surprising to me, Gareth, is that we've got a, a mile race and a 20, 40 meter race ranked higher than any of our feature sprints. And one yes. of the challenges around that is, this list is Group 1 and Grade 1 races only. It doesn't include the Everest. And the reason for that is obviously because Group 1s are internationally um, recognised. Um, so I think the challenge is our best sprint in Australia, if, if, yeah, assuming it is the Everest, and we probably all believe that, um, the challenge we've got with that is that race is not part of this um, process. And so therefore, you know, if it's our best race, we're not seeing it on this list. So that's that's probably more the thing that stood out for me, the fact that a 1,600-metre mile race uh, or 1,600-metre race and a 2,040-metre race are the two races that rank high, most highest for Australian horses. Does anyone care, Mickey Gannon? No, no. it's just garbage. The whole They should just put it, use it as um, fuel for fire. Yeah. The whole list is so, garbage, too. So on that then, a slot race is the future, Brent. We heard that the news in New Zealand, they got a new three-year-old 1,500-metre slot race for just New Zealand bred horses or Karaka horses. You've got the Quokka that's now the biggest race in WA. You've got the Everest, which is now the second biggest race in this country and clearly the biggest race in Sydney. So history's been and um, history's been thrown out the window a little bit. Innovation's the, the, the new go in Australian racing. And um, we might have our best-rated races that might not see – the, the long jeans top hundred because they're not group races, but they're slot races because I reckon that the Kiwi will be the biggest race in New Zealand in the next two or three years. The Quokka is already the biggest race in WA. It surpassed the time honored railway and the Everest is clearly the biggest race in Sydney. 
Yeah, I think it's, it's a it's a really interesting thing about Australia's growth internally and what it's done internally with its racing. The the Everest obviously was a complete game changer, and it changed the way we view racing in this country. And you know, credit to Racing New South Wales for doing that. They reinvented way in the space of five or six years. They've completely, or six or seven years, they've completely changed the way that we speak about racing. Uh, with the Everest sitting at the centre of that, and that's um, yeah, a great result. I guess the challenge is. Gareth, where we sit internationally, and if we want that international recognition, then slot races are probably going to struggle to get onto that pattern. And the other problem we've got is the Everest could become a Group 1 if we could sort out our own stuff with Racing Australia and with the problems with but, Racing but New South see, Wales and Racing Victoria. We want that respect from in the international market, but what's the international market going to do for the Quokka and all that, and, and, and the Everest, for instance? Does it make a difference... I'll tell, you, I'll tell some, you what, G. Yeah. Prize money, prize money will get the international market. You don't need a piece of paper from you know with long jeans written on it to get the international market's attention. If the prize money's there, they'll come and race. Yeah, if you're getting fifty thousand or they're 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 selling out Randwick and the Quokkas just transcending the sport in in WA, surely that people want to be involved with that, don't they, Brent? We need we need people turning up to watch races, G, yeah. first and foremost. Don't worry about how they rate in, in regards to across the world. We, we need bums on seats. We need 50,000 people at the track, and and these races are doing that. Sorry, Brent. No, I was just going to say, look, look, I absolutely agree with everything that, that Mick says. I think that's absolutely right. I think the challenge is, is that without a functioning race in Australia, these races don't get group and grade graded races mm. uh, status over time, and I think that's actually to the detriment of the races or detriment to the mm. international profile. It's not that hard to sort out, really. Get in a room. Work out which races deserve Group One status and sort it out. Whether they're slot races or not, it actually doesn't matter. You can work through that. There's yeah. nothing that you know. If you actually work together, there's nothing you can overcome. I think what the issue I'm sort of speaking about speaks to the fact that there's a lot of great things going on at um, in Australian racing at the moment. A lot of extraordinary things going on in terms of the amount of prize money on offer, all that sort of stuff. But at the heart of it, there's a level there's a level of dysfunction around racing in Australia, which is affecting the way that the future story of the sport will be told. Are you concerned Spot about on. the turnover dropping off? I, I, I read an article that you um, wrote there on the straight.com.au website. We've got about a couple of minutes before we have to take a break, but um, it is declining at the moment. Can the wagering operators level that out and stop the, the downward trend, Brent? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at those sports bet numbers that you're talking about, they yeah. were reported about 9% drop in revenue year on year in comparison. That's probably consistent with what we've been hearing across the board. The challenge is that that what they're reporting is primarily it's in the racing space that they're losing that turnover. So racing has a challenge to, to, to turn that around uh, and to get, yeah, I get, they're coming off record highs. So it's not like, you know, a, an absolute tragedy and racing yeah. is going to stop tomorrow. But I, I think there's, a, there's an aspect here where we just need to look at the way the product's being positioned. And ensuring we're getting the the you know getting the best result out of in terms of um because the wagering the WSP has really driven a lot of this growth, yeah. and it's really key that, that that they feel empowered to do that. If they start pulling back on their investment in racing and focusing more on sport, then that's going to be the detriment of not only the funding but also the profile of racing around Australia. Yeah, it's such an interesting time um, in the next twelve or so months, especially in racing in the landscape from the wagering point of view as well. There's there's plenty that will that will play out. And there's some big decisions from administrators that will shape this game for years to come. 8.53 here in the East, 7.53 in Queensland. It's 5.53 over there in Perth. 10.53, of course, in uh, New Zealand. Great to have our New Zealand friends with us. And it is 23 minutes past eight in South Australia. We'll take a quick break. 
The nine o'clock news not far away. And then we'll have a chat about the Jockeys Premiership. There's a couple of markets out. And we'll see if you'll be backing James McDonald at $1.60, despite him being... Uh, Macca is about nine off the pace as we speak. This is Giddy Up on this Wednesday. Welcome back to I Giddy Up, Gareth Hall with you this Wednesday morning. And it's the Wednesday debate. Straight.com.au's very own Bren O'Brien, the great tip-offs. Mickey Gaddam with me. Um, G'day, Gareth. City Jockey Premiership will go down to the Y. We'll discuss that just after 9 o'clock news with anyone of J-Mac, Nash, Tyler Schiller or Jason Collett to win. Um, it's funny that our top-rating races are races we don't breathe for, which is crazy. Um, I don't know what's happening with 657 in Perth. I'll chase that up. I have another topic which seems to go under the radar each year, Gareth. It's a long email from Dave, so I'll get to that after 9 o'clock. I like what you're saying, Dave. Nine o'clock news time. 0499736736 to join our conversation. 0499736736. Don't forget, you can send us a message with SEN Talk. Just go to Giddy Up with your head to the SEN app. Um, uh, click on Listen to Giddy Up, and then you can push the Talk button, record your message, send your opinion, and away you go. It's pretty easy to do, and um, we'd love to hear from you here on, on Giddy Up. Now, 0499736736 here to join our conversation. Um, let's continue on with our topics. Nashville Wheeler is on 44 wins in the Sydney Jockey Premiership. This is the Metro Premiership. Jason Collett, 41. Tyler Schiller, 41. James McDonald, 35. And then we get to Lloyd and Barry, both on 28. Um, James McDonald with the market that I saw was at a dollar sixty. Nash at three dollars. Double figures for the rest. I think James McDonald will still win easily, barring injury. Mickey Gannon. I don't know how they beat him. He got three winners there on Saturday. Um, I think that he gets the best of the rides, and I think I don't think we'll see him in Melbourne for much of the summer slash autumn. Uh, like I, I can't. Maybe maybe the Lightning at a a possibility, but apart from that, most of those other big race meetings in Sydney clash with Melbourne. So he's going to be in Sydney for a fair chunk of the, the rest of the season anyway. Yeah, I think you'll see J-Mac hit the lead at some stage, but my biggest query, and you know more, G, you've booked him with regular ice baths with him until the end of the financial year. So you know where he's about more than me, but he goes to Hong Kong, he will have a bit of time off, he's got a family, a bit of time off in the winter, you go to Brisbane, how much riding is he going to do in the last two months of the year, well, do you reckon? I think that he's prioritising the, to win the premiership. So if he's only three or is four he? in front, yeah, he, he'll stay in Sydney as long as he can. He won't be No way. He'll um, be going. No. There's no, no like, so he may not take holidays, but he'll be going to the group ones in Brisbane, right? Where yeah, 100%. You'd imagine Nash, yeah. Nash won't. Nash to... is at the twilight of his career. Do you reckon Nash is sitting there going, I'm nine in front? I've got five months to go. What's it? He's forty nine years of age, Nash. Yeah, we're, we're... I, I reckon Nash's. I reckon that. I reckon the price differential between those two is too significant. He'll I think by, Nash should be. He'll win close by two fifty. He'll win by ten hard held, J Mac. Like it's well, the twenty fourth we'll of January. We'll have a proper bet on this. Yeah, I'll bet you anything you like that J Mac will beat Nashville Wheeler <laughs> in the Premiership. He is by home 10. and host. And in fact, when you have a look at their strike rates, Nash is riding in career best form. He's got a better strike rate in town than Macca, twenty three point four percent. 
and James is at 22.4. Now, they're clearly got the best strike rates, but Nash has been riding a lot of winners because J-Mac hasn't been there. J-Mac gets Nash's rides when he, when he especially for Chris Waller. So well, here's, a, here's another way it might play out. So TC might go up to Brisbane, so will Hippo. And all of a sudden, Nash gets on a lot of um, Gay and Adrian's horses out in front and on dry decks as well and might pick up a few winners. So yeah, they're not too sure. I think it'll be a lot closer than, than you expect. Yeah. And Jason Collett, look how many seconds he's had. Seconds Jason and thirds. Collett. He's had 44 wins. You can, I'll give you 100 to 1 for Jason whoa, Collett. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, I'll take that. Yeah, 100 you can have 100, 100 to 1, Jason Collett. <laughs> Jacko, clip that up and send it to me. Um, With all due respect, <laughs> I love Jason Collett, but he won't be beating Macca in the Premiership or Nash. Righto. Uh, but 101, that's a bet. And he's had 44 seconds, so he's, he's, he's thereabouts more than any of those other jockeys. Yep. Brad? I, I think I'll leave you two to battle it out, I think. Although, <laughs> although Gareth taking Gareth taking uh, $1.60 about, about J-Mac, who's effectively in a golf tournament parlance, he's you know, nine shots off the pace with nine holes remaining, um, is a little bit... Uh, it, it, I think I think the market's got a little bit wrong. I think Nash is riding well enough to to give certainly a J Mac a fight to the line. And the other thing about J Mac, as you said, like you know, you just don't know what other opportunities may arise for him going forward. Um, betting on jockeys' premierships, I think, you know, I won't say it's foolish, but it's 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 a dangerous art because they can yeah. get injured very easily and, and miss a lot of time, as we've seen with Willie Pike over in Perth, Gareth. So I think my concern would be, I, I, like, you ask me to have a bet right now. You pick the front runner. You pick Nash. He's riding at twenty three point four percent. All the points that Mickey pointed about about the way that he will get the better rides during the, when those guys go off to Sydney, uh, go off to Brisbane, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's all good for me. Uh, J Jack, Jack Max an absolute superstar, um, and if he wants to win it and he concentrates on winning it, he'll win it. I think, but I would yeah. like the front runner right now. All right, then. So we get this on the record. You're tipping Nash to beat J Mac. Both of you in the premiership. Yep. I'd be backing Nash at three dollars. I'm not tipping him, but I'm backing him at three dollars. What price are you giving me, J Mac? Then two dollars, Mickey. Yeah, I'll give you two bucks. Mate, he's gonna like if he if he he says that he wants to win the premier, he will absolutely like he'll bolt. Yeah, but on. you wait. He'll he'll be given an offer to go. He'll get ten percent of something to go ride something up in Queensland or this that like, and you know, Caitlin will say, James, you don't need another premiership. Take the take the ten percent. Nash will get suspended. Um, he usually gets suspended a lot. <laughs> yeah, hey, well, there's a, that is a worry. Dean Lane's at 49. There's no way he's getting beaten the Victorian Jockey Premiership. In fact, is it, there's a strong argument to say that Dean Lane's the best jockey in the country at the moment. He's just like, he is in a, he's in a league of his own with the way that he's riding in my eyes in Victoria. And then you just have a look at some of the other premierships. This is an interesting one. The dominance of W Pike. So he leads the Metro Premiership. 66 to 43. He's going to miss at least three months. He will still be a dollar 10 to win the premiership in the West. That's how, that's his dominance there. He leads, he's on 66. CJP? No, Parnham's on 43. CJP's on 34. Um, and then in Queensland, when you have a look at their premiership at the moment as well, um, you've got Jimmy Orman. He is on 66, so he's dominating Benny Thompson at 41. So there you go. So I think the most interesting finale to a premiership will be the Jockeys' Premiership in New South Wales and Jay McDonald take. I think it would be between Rewilla and, and McDonald, but, um, yeah, I can't believe your boys are giving me $3 for um, Macca. I'll take that every day of the week. 
It was two dollars. I think it was two dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Oh, sorry. I, 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 I just, can't believe you let me. I can't believe you let me on for hundreds with Collett. But anyway, that's a different stuff. Yep. I think Johnny O'Neill took that bet. Did turnover drop when <laughs> racing New South Wales made it easier for Metropolitan horses to win the country cups, starving the local trainers of that incentive? I haven't got that raise. I'll have to double check. Hi, Gareth. I have another topic. Oh, I would imagine turnover would increase with that G with country yeah. carnivals, with oh, having, totally having bigger agree. stables going there. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. Hi, Gareth. I have another topic which seems to go under the radar each year. The Racing Hall of Fame seems to get very little coverage until its inductees get announced. And even then, only a brief mention. I'm staggered that Simon Marshall has ridden 16 Group 1 winners before having to retire due to battling weight issues before spending the next 20 to 25 years in the racing media. Hasn't been inducted yet. They have always has plenty of discussion about who should be added, but not racing. What's your thoughts? That's from Dave from Frankston South. Well, Dave, I think it was really weird this year with it being in WA. Like no one knew who was, who, who was in the hall of fame really. Um, and we're a racing show and we talked about it a little bit, but it sort of, it, it was under everybody's radar in a way. It was poorly handled, in my opinion. And you had people who were nominated and didn't even know that were nominated. Brent, I think it was I a think the challenge is Gareth that there's a yeah. I think the challenge is that that because it's run state by state and it goes state by state every year and it's part of this passed around Australian Racehorse of the Year. Um, it it doesn't work. You've got to have a single place for it. You've got to have an event for it. And I don't think that happens where you don't have a functioning Australian racing landscape under Racing Australia. And I think that 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 you know, in an ideal world, the, the Hall of Fame and Australian Racehorse of the Year belongs to Racing Australia, and they conduct the event, and it's actually an event, not just passed around the states as it is, it is at the moment. I've been to a few of these Aroy uh, functions over the years, probably three or four of them, and then don't actually sit in my mind as the greatest moments of my uh, journalism career. Watching, you know, they're just not well done. Like no. to be honest, they, they need to be a lot better. It needs to be a lot more about celebrating the history of the sport and the way things up. There needs to be a coordinated media approach. It needs to get mainstream media cut through. There's a whole bunch of reasons why it doesn't work in the format that it's in. So if we want this to actually mean something, you've actually got to put it forward and actually you know, give it proper promotion and you know, make it a proper event. I had three prominent racing industry participants get in contact with me, Gareth. Where do we find out who is the horse of the year? Like, I think people like J-Mac didn't even get involved. Like, I don't know if he even knew they were on and he won an award, which is staggering in a way. And then you've got the situation where you've got like, um, no one could find the results. Now, I thought Rawa did an okay job, but if you didn't know that Rawa existed and some people in the Eastern States don't know that they have a, a social media platform, then they simply didn't know it was on. Um, So people like had horses nominated and even like, and I know the winners get, told because they have to fly over to Perth. But when you've got Gay Waterhouse getting into the Hall of Fame, you do need to make a bit more of a fuss than what they did about it. So, um, and th and that's where the media has to come together and they've got to go, all right, then Racing Australia. And it's, well, Racing Australia let whoever the jurisdiction is to take control. So it was Rawa in Perth and Rawa pushed it back because they wanted it to be part of their carnival. I think it was before the, 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 the railway stakes, but, um, yeah, Racing Australia. They named two horses Highness. One was racing at Canberra. The other one was in the Magic Millions two-year-old classic. They're a complete and utter schmozzle of an organisation. And I don't know, um, it's just, you see it in harness racing a little bit as well and the other bodies. It's just beggars belief that the industries are so small and they're not big enough and they want to like make it difficult for everybody. It's not fair, but it's what we have to deal with, Brent, unfortunately. Well, we it's, it's also part of the fragmented media landscape as well. 
yeah. when you've got when you've got like you know you've got your individual state based media entities. You know, Racing dot com for all their credit is primarily a Victorian based organisation. You've got the other organisations that are responsive to more responsive to New South Wales or Queensland, and you've got WA sort of on its own. It's it's a bit of a sad indictment. Good sports celebrate their heroes. The best sports celebrate their heroes, and if we don't do that in racing, we'll wonder why nobody remembers these horses in 15, 20 years' time. We were a lot better at, in the past, and yes, racing got a lot more mainstream cut through. But as I was growing up, you got to know these horses because of events like this. You got to understand what they, what why they mattered, and in a yeah. in a battle for eyeballs, which is what it is, you really got to get your, your heroes out there, and racing does not do a good enough job of that. A lot, a lot of love for J-Mac and a lot of support for me. If J-Mac doesn't win, if bar injury, if he doesn't win the Sydney Metropolitan Jockeys Premiership, I will, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something outrageous because I know it won't happen. I will, what do you, I'll do anything you like. I'll you know what, Jay, I want, I, want you to, I want you to run to Sydney. <laughs> I'll run to, ba- I'll run to Ballarat. This is this is how Cliff Young started. I'll, ru- I'll yeah. run to Ballarat. I'll run to Ballarat <laughs> if Jay Mac doesn't win the Jockeys Premiership in Sydney. Yeah, but Barring you probably injury. get your brother to drop. You probably get your brother to drop you a kilometer out. I want you to run from the Sydney shit from Melbourne studio to Sydney studio, Jay. Yeah, all right then. I'll do that. I'll run to the Sydney studio, and I'm training for the um, Bustle and Iron Man. I'll run to the like we can stop off in Albury and all that, have a beer. Oh, you can have a rest. Yeah. yeah. Jay Mac, please. I'm that com. Do you know why I'm that confident? Because you know, you know he's scheduled, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Do you know why I'm that confident? Because Mark Guess wants to go to Brazil, his manager, <laughs> and he needs to be about 20 in front before J-Mac will allow him to go to Brazil. So he'll be trying like there's no but, there's no manager who's tried ever before. Guess he'll be on the beach in Brazil getting getting bookings for him, if I know Guess. So no, I, don't no, think, well, I don't think I don't think it'll stop him going, for, going no, to Brazil. No. Gareth. All right. Hey, love your work, boys. A lot of fun as always. We'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, Chance. Mickey Thanks, Gaddon, Brent O'Brien from thestraight.com.au. You can read all of Brent's work on thestraight.com.au and catch all of Mickey Gannon's work on the great tip-off.